from the Great Charlton District Talking Newspaper Association, welcome to Volume 40, Number 50 of Grapevine. This is online version number 38, recorded on the 11th of December 2020. In this week's news, are Norfolk people following Tier 1 Covid rules whilst we are in Tier 2? More changes at the Troubled Ambulance Trust and the generous young scout delights the JPUH Children's Ward staff. Hi, I'm Graham, your presenter, with this week's newsreader, Desney, who also brings us her TV choice for the week, plus Andy with another weird Norfolk tale. To start, though, here's Desney with the first part of the news. Experts fear some in Norfolk are following the Tier 1 rules. Signs that coronavirus cases in Norfolk are on the increase has prompted a call for people and businesses to stick to the Tier 2 restrictions and stem the spread of coronavirus. Concerns that some businesses and their customers are not sticking to the rules has prompted a plea from council and health bosses. There are also concerns people are mixing indoors, which is not permitted under the Tier 2 restrictions Norfolk is under. Police, environmental health officers and Covid support staff will be visiting businesses such as pubs and restaurants across Norfolk from Friday December 11th to get the message across. Tom McCabe, chairman of the Strategic Coordination Group at Norfolk Resilience Forum, said, I know that many people, businesses and organisations have found it tough over the last few months, but the restrictions are designed to stop the virus from spreading. The measures are in place to protect everyone and we must remember this. Only by working together can we protect our families and loved ones. Mr McCabe said businesses unsure of restrictions should contact local councils. He said tomorrow environmental health officers, Covid support staff and neighbourhood police officers will be making visits to a number of venues in each district to offer additional advice and guidance and make clear their expectations around the restrictions. Mr McCabe said enforcement action would be a last resort but may be necessary for those who persistently put people at risk. He said the majority of businesses were playing their part, but that there had been some instances where this was not the case. He said what none of us want is for those businesses to have to close because of an increase in infection levels. My plea is let's do the right thing so those businesses can stay open. Mr McCabe said there had been some instances reported to County Hall and districts of businesses not sticking to the rules or not sticking to the spirit of the rules, such as finding ways to get round the substantial meals rule when selling alcohol. The seven-day incidence of the virus in Norfolk for the week to December the 4th was 99 per 100,000, up from 94 the previous week. 
there are currently 226 people being treated in hospitals in Norfolk and Waveney, up from 182 the previous week. Dr Louise Smith, Public Health Director for Norfolk, said, The lockdown has brought some benefit to the figures in Norfolk and they have returned to those now similar to pre-lockdown levels. This is good progress, but we are at a pivotal moment for the county on where we go next in our fight against the virus. I'm concerned that people might feel they're keeping to the rules, but that they might be following the Tier 1 restrictions and not Tier 2. The greatest risk for the spread of infection is mixing between households, and I worry that people are meeting up in groups of six in homes and in shops and restaurants. In Tier 2, households cannot mix in restaurants, and pubs and bars must close unless they are operating as restaurants. The government will be reviewing which tier Norfolk is under next week, but council bosses said it was too early to say whether the county might go into a different tier. Great Yarmouth has seen an increase in rates from 86 cases per 100,000 to 126 cases per 100,000. Dr Smith said, over the past week, there has been a notable increase in the number of cases in Great Yarmouth. But when we go to investigate them, the vast majority can be linked to settings and outbreaks that we are aware of. So we are seeing the cases occur in the places we would expect them. So that's care homes and hospitals, the places we're already working with. The number of outbreaks in care homes and schools have gone up on the previous week. Defined as situations where there are two or more cases, there were 60 outbreaks in care homes, up on 55 the week before. And there were 34 outbreaks in schools, up on the 25 the previous week. Yes, we still need to be careful in, in spite of all this lovely talk about the vaccine, don't we? Football stadiums will be demolished to make way for homes. Great Yarmouth councillors gave the go-ahead at a development control meeting on December the 9th for Pleasure and Leisure Limited, run by the landowners, the Jones family, to tear down Galston Football's Club Emerald Park and build houses instead. The site is near to the James Paget Hospital and the South Bradwell Urban Expansion. Access to the new site, which will include a mixture of one and two bed flats and three and four bed houses, would be from Wood Farm Lane. According to council officers, the site is sustainable and consistent with the emergent local plan. But the sticking point, what would happen to Galston Football Club if they lost their training ground? Planning officer Gordon Sutherland said the applicant was under the impression they did not have to provide a new facility because there is a surplus of adult and junior training grounds as far into the future as 2030. However, Mr Sutherland said, we've taken the view that any future pitch should be the same, if not better, than the one Galston FC is currently losing. As a result, the key consequence is that the applicant is proposing to help fund a new pitch at East Norfolk 
Sixth Form College. Mr Sutherland said the developer will give £400,000 towards the new, fully lit, artificial 3G pitch as a way of bridging any gap in funding at the college. Public Sport England weren't happy about the loss of the site initially, but have said they will release a £1 million grant they have secured to go towards the new site, which was granted permission in January 2020, if this goes ahead. Karen Price, speaking on behalf of Albert Jones and his family, guaranteed that developments at the old grounds wouldn't start until developments on the new pitch began. However, she added that there would be no affordable housing at the development because of issues with deliverability. Objector Matthew Smith said the fact that there were zero affordable houses was concerning and that there was no additional street lighting being proposed. Trevor Wainwright, Labour, said he agreed that the Magdalen estate was incredibly dark, but said that Galston Football Club was unviable and has been for years. He said, if nothing happens to that site, it will just fall into disrepair. Free parking in Great Yarmouth over the festive period. Parking in Great Yarmouth Town Centre will be free all weekends over Christmas and New Year in a bid to encourage people to shop locally. Great Yarmouth Borough Council is introducing free parking over the festive period on both Saturdays and Sundays from December the 12th to January the 3rd in six town car parks. King Street, Market Place, George Street, Brewery Plain, Stonecutters and Fuller's Hill. In previous years, the free festive parking was on Sundays only. Jonathan Newman, Town Centre Manager, said the scheme would provide a much-needed boost for retailers during this peak trading period. I hope that the free parking and the fantastic new lighting display will encourage Christmas shoppers to support their local businesses as we approach the end of a year that has been very challenging to everyone, he said. Parking remains free in most town centre surface car parks every weekday from 4pm and free from noon on Wednesdays at King Street, Brewery Plain and George Street. Last Friday, December the 4th, the Borough Council staged a virtual lights switch-on with a video on social media which has been viewed more than 15,000 times, showing displays lighting up the town centre and seashore, Hemsby's Beach Road and Galston's High Street and seashore. People are being encouraged to take selfies at the 20 metre long multicoloured tunnel of lights in the marketplace, illuminated every day from noon until late, and post the pictures using the hashtag, hashtag differentlightsgy. The town's Covid marshals will also continue to be out and about in high footfall locations over Christmas and the New Year. To support their work, the council has launched a festive campaign on social media, encouraging people to be a Christmas angel and shop like a wise man by shopping both locally and safely.
Carl Smith, the council leader, said this year has been particularly challenging for everyone, including retailers. But we're doing everything we can to back our local businesses and support a safe, local and fun Christmas shopping experience. We've already had lots of positive public feedback about our magical displays, especially the Tunnel of Light. So do come on down and experience the spectacle for yourself and back our local traders. Charges dropped against 69 migrants found off the coast. Charges against 69 migrants found on a boat off the Norfolk coast have been dropped after a legal error. The passengers, all from Albania, were arrested last month after a 30 metre fishing trawler was intercepted by border force officers in the sea off Great Yarmouth. The migrants were detained on suspicion of offences under the Immigration Act, but plans to prosecute them have been dropped due to a failure to meet legal requirements during their arrest. A Crown Prosecution Service spokesman said, after careful consideration, we have decided our legal tests for prosecution were not met in relation to the 69 passengers. Proceedings commenced by immigration enforcement will therefore be discontinued and any convictions returned to court. During the bust on November the 17th, border force cutters stopped the boat and took it under control before escorting the vessel into Harwich Harbour in the early hours of the following morning. Three crew members, a Latvian national and two Ukrainian nationals, were arrested on suspicion of facilitating illegal immigration. The CPS confirmed that charges have been authorised against those three people. A Home Office spokesman said, We are disappointed that the proceedings against the 69 people charged with illegal entry will be discontinued, and we are working with the CPS urgently to resolve the issues raised by this case. The immigration cases will be dealt with as quickly as possible and removal action will be pursued against anyone found to have no right to remain in the UK. Knowingly entering the UK without leave is a criminal offence and anyone who has committed such an offence should be prepared to face prosecution. The Home Office said it was pleased the CPS had authorised the three facilitation charges. The boat, which had travelled from the Ostend area of Belgium, was caught off the coast following a joint operation involving the National Crime Agency, Immigration Enforcement and Border Force. An amazing act of kindness. A scout donates toys to children in hospital. A young scout has been hailed for a truly touching, inspirational act of kindness. Lowestoft scout Oscar Cohn has used the recent lockdown to raise funds and help others. Oscar, a member of the 14th Lowestoft Scout Group, made a number of face masks with all the proceeds raised going to the local hospital. 
As he worked to gain some scout badges over lockdown, one of the badges he chose was his fundraiser badge. And after speaking with his mum, Emma, about all the different ways there were to raise money, as his mum had thoughts about making face masks, Oscar asked if he could help. Mrs Cone said, Oscar used my sewing machine. It was a skill he had tried a couple of times before and on that occasion had made himself a hoodie. So he set about making the masks using lots of different prints of fabrics. The project soon produced a stock of face masks that we were able to sell locally and nationally via Facebook, with each one sold earning £1 to donate to a good cause. Oscar raised eventually more than £400 and he then decided that he would like to help the children's ward at James Paddock University Hospital in Galston. So, with his family, he went to the TK Maxx store last week and enjoyed walking round choosing all the toys as he managed to fill two trolleys complete with 60 toys for the children's ward. Mrs Cone added, when we delivered the gifts to the hospital, the nurses were overwhelmed with the number of toys Oscar was donating and said they would make lots of children happy. They also said that it could be a very stressful and emotional time for families with youngsters in hospital and the Christmas donation of toys for the children and young persons unit will make a big difference to them. Assistant District Commissioner for Scouts, Harry Emerson, said it's a truly touching and inspirational thing for someone to do. The gesture and sentiment behind this amazing act of kindness is truly reflective of all we stand for in scouting. That's another nice happy story. Dormitory villages fear as 112 homes are approved. Plans to build 112 homes on arable land near the coast have been approved, despite concerns that the plot was supposed to be used for employment purposes. Councillors approved plans to build the homes at land north of Hemsby Road, Martham, at a Great Yarmouth Borough Council development control meeting on December the 9th. This included eight two-bed flats, 35 two-bed houses, 43 three-bed houses and 24 four-bed houses, with the developer vowing to make room for open spaces throughout. According to Planning Officer Gordon Sutherland, the proposal is sustainable, with utility services and the doctor's surgery confirming that they could cope with extra demand. He said this land was originally designated for industrial use, but the applicant has made the point that servicing the site for that purpose would cost £6 million. Rent from the units would then come in at about 2.7 million, meaning it isn't viable for employment. He also said that the developer wanted to clear out the middle of a copse of poplar trees at one end of the development so that residents had better visibility and could spot antisocial behaviour or fly tipping. 
Councillors, however, were concerned about the loss of employment land and the felling of trees. Tony Wright said he would like to see more trees planted in the borough, not fewer. Paul Hammond and Leslie Mogford, meanwhile, condemned the fact that the land was not being used to provide jobs for people within the parish, with parish councillor Paul Hooper arguing that Martham and Hemsby were becoming dormitory villages for Yarmouth and Norwich. The councillors were repeatedly reminded by officers to consider what was in front of them and stop suggesting alternative uses which were not part of the application. Emma Griffiths, speaking on behalf of the applicant, said the land had been marketed for industrial use for four years without interest and that felled trees would be replaced at a rate of three to one. Trevor Wainwright, Labour, said Yarmouth, which has ample employment opportunities, takes 10 minutes in a car. It's ridiculous to keep suggesting that the developer keeps a plot of industrial land free in the hope that someone might want in the future. The recommendation to approve was carried with the condition that the cops would not be cleared. It's Weird Norfolk time with Andy, and this week, a tale of relics at Bankton. Hello, this is Andy, with another of the Weird Norfolk stories. And this one concerns bringing the dead back to life at Broomholm Priory. The ruins are spectacular, and hint at a majesty long since claimed by time. But the broken walls of Broomholm Priory hide an even bigger secret. They once housed a holy relic said to be so powerful it could raise the dead. Also known as Bacton Abbey or Broomhome Priory, the building was founded 1113 by William de Glanville as a sister abbey of near Castle Acre and stands as a lonely sentry in fields just off the scenic northeast Norfolk Coast Road. These days, Bacton's fame is bound up in gas. But travel back in time to 1205, and Bacton was nothing short of miraculous. For the first century of its life, Broomholm was a staging post on the pilgrim route to Walshingham. But in 1205, its fortunes changed thanks to a tiny wooden cross no bigger than a man's hand, which, it was said, was a relic of the true cross on which Jesus died. Soldiers of the Fourth Crusade had ransacked Constantinople, bringing back a hoard of treasure, both spiritual and secular. A local priest, who had been with the emperor in Constantinople, brought back the two pieces of wood, which he offered to the Clunichil monks at Broomholm on condition that he and his sons were admitted to the priory. The monastery, poor in worldly goods but rich in faith, believed the priest and agreed to his terms. 
His cross, said to have been made by St. Helena from parts of the cross to which Christ's hands and feet was nailed, was set up in the church and it proved to be Broomhall's salvation. Matthew Paris's illuminated medieval manuscript, Chronica Magiona, contained information about the cross, which drew from Flores Hostarium by Roger of Wenhoven in his Annals for 1223. In the same year, divine miracles became frequent occurrences at Broomholm, to the glory and honour of the life-giving cross on which the Saviour of the world suffered for the redemption of mankind, it reads. The manuscript then reveals that the relic was brought to Broomholm by King Baldwin's chaplain, who had already been refused by several other monasteries, but was enthusiastically welcomed in Norfolk. In this year, divine miracles began to be wrought in that monastery to the praise and glory of the life-giving cross. For there the dead were restored to life, the blind recovered their sight, and any sick person who approached the aforesaid cross with faith went away safe and sound. In all, 39 people were raised from the dead. 19 people had their sight restored. And pilgrims, including Henry III, flocked to Broomholm with gracious offerings. The cross is mentioned in Reeves' tale, the third of Geoffrey Chaucer's Canterbury Tales written in the 1380s. Miller Simkin lives near Cambridge and steals the wheat and meal brought to him for grinding. Two students set out to get revenge for their college steward who fell victim to Simkin and orchestrate a farce-like situation involving wives, daughters and bed-hopping. At one point, the miller's wife is woken when her husband falls. Help, she screamed. Holy cross at Broomhome, keep us, Lord, into our hands. Within 50 years of Chaucer's work, the end would be nigh for Broomhome's claim to fame. In 1424, Sir Hugh Pye, a Protestant chaplain from Norwich, was tried before the Bishop of Norwich for having thrown the relic on a fire. In the Acts and Monuments of John Fox of 1424, it says that Pye was brought before the Bishop on July the 5th, 1424, for holding these opinions following, that people ought not to go on pilgrimage, that the people ought not to give alms, that the image of the cross and other images are not to be worshipped. Pye denied the charges, whereupon he had a day appointed to purge himself by the witness of three laymen and three priests. That done so, he was sworn as the other before and so dismissed. Two years later, the bishop recalled Pye regarding the death of William White, who had been burned at the stake for heresy and been associated with White, a fellow Lollard. Pye was reprieved yet again, but Broomholm Priory had lost its miraculous attraction and never again wealthy visitors keen to part with gifts in return for touching wood. Thanks Andy. Second part of the news now, so back to Desney, followed by her look at this week's TV. Another new face joins the Ambulance Trust as the CEO sick leave continues. 
The chief executive of the region's troubled ambulance trust remains off sick three months after a critical inspection report with its medical director stepping up as acting CEO and another doctor taking over his duties. Dorothy Hossein, appointed the East of England Ambulance Service boss a year ago, has been on sick leave since the end of September. During that month, the East of England Ambulance Service was placed in special measures after Care Quality Commission, CQC, inspectors uncovered bullying and sexual harassment. Dr Tom Davis, who has been covering Ms Hossein's duties while she has been off sick, also now has official backup from incoming improvement boss, Dr Shreeman Andoli, set to temporarily cover medical director responsibilities. On Monday, Dr Davis fronted the announcement of a new £25 million technology project to enhance electronic patient care records as acting CEO. During a board meeting last month, he said Ms Hossein was not expected to return until the end of the year at the earliest. Trust bosses confirm she remains off sick and shielding and added, as part of the improvement support offered to us by our regulator, Dr Andole is joining us as an improvement director. He will temporarily take on some aspects of the medical director role while Dr Davis is acting CEO. Dr Andole joins a raft of new appointments, including Juliet Beale as Director of Clinical Improvements, Louise Lovegrove as Organisation Coach, and Steve Mason as Culture Director. Meanwhile, as work continues to implement an action plan after September's inspection report, the Trust has been in regular contact with the Equality and Human Rights Commission. The organisation sent a letter to the East of England Ambulance Service Trust following the review, asking bosses to advise whether an inspection, enforcement or action plan support under a 23 notice to enter into an agreement not to commit an unlawful act was necessary. Inspectors found 13 of the ambulance service staff members had been reported to police for sexual misconduct and predatory behaviour against patients and other employees between March 2019 and April 2020. An EHRC spokesman confirmed it will take the necessary actions to ensure everyone can realise their right to a working environment that allows them to achieve their full potential. Trust bosses added that an action plan is currently being agreed between the two organisations. Artist produces festive bingo sheet to help brighten up Christmas. An artist from Galston has put pen to paper to bring some much needed excitement back to Christmas this year. As part of the EDP's Let's Brighten Up campaign, Rebecca Osborne has produced an exclusive Here to Help festive bingo sheet for families and individuals to complete in the run-up to the big day. Mrs Osborne, who spent lockdown drawing coronavirus key workers, 
previously featured on a special cover of the EDP. Her drawing of Captain Sir Tom Moore also gained national attention. She said, I have created the bingo sheet for people to share some Christmas fun with family and friends near and far. There are plenty of ideas on it of things to do and see whilst staying safe this Christmas. To find out more about Mrs Osborne and her work, visit her website via www.rebeccaosborne, that's R-E-B-E-C-C-A-O-S-B-O-R-N-E dot co dot uk. Six fines and four prohibition orders for businesses flouting lockdown rules. Several businesses in and around Yarmouth have had their wrists slapped for breaching Covid rules, new figures reveal. Great Yarmouth Borough Council has dished out six penalty notices and four prohibition orders since the first lockdown lifted in July. This includes one licensed premises being hit with a prohibition order for opening when forbidden on July the 8th. Between October and the beginning of December, however, that figure jumped again to three prohibition orders and six fixed penalty notices. The prohibition orders, which can stop a business for operating for a period of time, were given to a car wash, licensed premises and barber. The council said it was not able to name the premises involved as that may prejudice any future legal proceedings. Carl Smith, leader of Great Yarmouth Borough Council said the safety of the public is our main concern. Where the council receives report of a business premises breaking the rules which often comes from fellow businesses Covid marshals and the public, environmental health officers will attend to provide advice, answer questions and to encourage voluntary compliance in the first instance. Those who refuse to follow the government guidelines will be dealt with accordingly and issued with a fixed penalty notice for the breach of lockdown legislation. In preparation for coming out of the November lockdown, Great Yarmouth Borough Council increased Covid marshal numbers from 6 to 10, as well as recruiting an additional cohort of flexible officer to be drawn on if necessary. Be careful warning as coronavirus cases see sharp rise in Great Yarmouth. Coronavirus cases have almost doubled in Great Yarmouth after falling in previous weeks, with two communities bearing the brunt of new infections. Data from Public Health England shows the borough's rate of infection increased to 119.8 per 100,000 people last week, up from 66.4 the week before. The biggest increases were in Caister and Galston West. The former had 11 cases in the week ending November the 25th. That number had jumped to 23 infections in the seven days leading up to December the 2nd. In Galston West, the increase for the same time period 
was from 9 to 25 cases. While the national average for cases per 100,000 currently stands at 148.8 and has been falling, the rate in both communities has more than doubled. In Caister, the rate climbed from 112.3 to 255.7 and in Galston West from 120 to 333.4. Carl Smith, leader of Great Yarmouth Borough Council said, We knew there would be peaks and troughs. We're better off than two or three weeks ago. People have just got to take care wearing masks inside. The figures will fluctuate, but the borough is still below the national average. Mr Smith said the spike in cases could not be put down to one thing, as the virus is out there in the community. So we're saying to people, don't mix with other households, because this virus does spread in indoor settings. It is a community spread. If the community works with us, hopefully we can keep our numbers down. Tiers across the country will be reviewed by the government next week, and Mr Smith said the hope is that Norfolk would move to Tier 1. We've made the case in favour of Norfolk to be looked at as a region, but the east of England is where we are at the moment. But hopefully we can get back to just Norfolk, and with our numbers you would like to think we would be judged as a Tier 1, he said. Penny Carpenter, a borough council based in Caister, said, We must never let our guard down, even though there's a vaccine, but we've still got to be vigilant and treat all this very seriously. She said it's very sad for people who have been infected and for their families. It's a terrible thing and it struck families up and down the country. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen happen to people in many a long year, she added. And analysis of the rising local infection rates throw Norfolk's Tier 1 hopes into doubt. With two weeks to go until the coronavirus tier system is reviewed, some areas of Norfolk have a higher infection rate than when the second national lockdown began. Norfolk followed the rest of the country into a second lockdown on November the 5th and the rate of infection soared from 99.4 per 100,000 to 149.5 by November the 13th. Infections then slowed with the rate back down to 99.8 by the end of the lockdown, slightly higher than when lockdown started. But recent local Norfolk figures have thrown the county's hopes for Tier 1 status into doubts, with worrying spikes in Great Yarmouth and Norwich. Public Health England data up to December the 2nd for Great Yarmouth returned an infection rate of 120.8 per 100,000, almost double the 66.4 seen on November the 26th. Yarmouth's December the 2nd rate is still lower than the 175.2 seen at the start of the second lockdown, but a surge in Norwich gave the city a rate of 133.7 
on the same date, far higher than the 82.5 seen on November the 5th. In North Norfolk, rates dropped from a high of 90.6 in the last week of November to 67.7 by December the 2nd. But that still left the area with a higher rate than at the start of the second lockdown. And in South Norfolk, the infection rate once again crept up above 100, compared to 72.4 on November the 5th. Those rates will need to come down if Norfolk hopes to enter Tier 1 in two weeks' time, with the government previously suggesting only areas with a substantial drop in cases will be in the least restricted tier. So, did the lockdown work? High rates don't necessarily mean the second lockdown didn't work. Surges in late November and early December could be explained by pre-lockdown infections working their way through the system. Another key factor in deciding Norfolk's next tier will be infections in over 60s. Test and trace data up to November the 25th showed the percentage of infections was falling in the 60 to 69 and 70 to 79 brackets, but rising among the 80 to 89 and 90 plus brackets. Norfolk's local authority infection percentage remain below England's 6.7%, with South Norfolk's rate of 5.3%, the highest in Norfolk. Hospital activity. The Norfolk and Norwich, James Paget and Queen Elizabeth hospitals have all seen COVID admissions fall since the mid-November peak, when numbers reached heights last seen in May. But the amount of beds occupied by virus patients at the Norfolk and Norwich remains on an upward trend, having risen from 22 to 75 from the start of the second lockdown to December the 1st. Meanwhile, the James Paget University Hospital in Great Yarmouth has seen a fall in the number of occupied beds, though the recent rise in infection rates there could foreshadow a spike in the near future. The number of patients on mechanical ventilator beds in all three hospitals has thankfully remained low, with the NNUH recording a peak of seven on November the 22nd. In all three hospitals, the numbers are dropping or remaining steady. In all, 12 deaths were announced in the first week of December in Norfolk hospitals, the same number as during the first week of the latest lockdown. In the second week of lockdown, the death toll rose to 22, but has continued to drop every week since. Whew. Well, I think after all those numbers, we need a bit of a rest. And here we are with a few things for you to see on television. We'll start with the weekend. And at seven o'clock tomorrow on BBC One is Strictly Come Dancing semi-final. Those of you who are fans of this will know we're now down to the last five. Uh, Ranveer, Harvey, Phil Bailey, Maisie, of course, and Jamie. 
This is the semi-final, so we've got one more week to enjoy, those of you who are fans. And the other, another very popular series recently has been I'm a Celebrity. So on Sunday, that's well and truly finished, but on Sunday at 8 o'clock on ITV is I'm a Celebrity, a castle story where Ant and Deck get all the contestants together to talk about their experience and what they've been doing since they left. So that's eight till nine on Sunday on ITV. That's followed um, because of the sad death recently of Des O'Connor. There's going to be a tribute programme to him, Des O'Connor, the ultimate entertainer. Well, that will include lots of well-known people and a lot of his old friends all paying tribute to him. Another programme this weekend, which some of you might be interested in, is about the Queen's mother-in-law, Princess Alice, Prince Philip's mother. Uh, it's called Princess Alice, the Royal's Greatest Secret. Well, I don't know about that, but if you want to see that, that's on Channel 5 at 8.35pm on Saturday. Going into the week now, the one programme I picked out that I would quite like to see is on Wednesday the 16th of December at 9pm on Channel 4, Christmas at High Clear Castle. This is a two-part series. I expect the other one will be next week. I haven't actually um, looked up the week after next. And the owner of um, High Clear Castle, Lady Carnarvon, unveils the Christmas preparations at what we know as the real Downton Abbey. Any of you Downton Abbey fans would like to see what High Clear looks like at Christmas these days, I should tune in. Mind you, I can't help wondering whether this programme was actually made last Christmas because I don't think they'll be able to do all the things they usually do at Christmas this year. Because of Covid, they won't be able to have all the visitors that they usually have. However, we'll see. There may be some way that they've managed to do it to slightly lesser degree. Anyway, that's all for now. Enjoy your television. I'm sure there'll be lots of programmes for us to enjoy over Christmas as well. So, happy Christmas. Sharp intake of breath now as Disney continues with the final part of this week's news. Driver caught doing 62 miles per hour in a 30 mile zone. There was both good and bad news on Norfolk's roads last weekend as incidents of three excessively speeding drivers were tempered by 36 negative breath tests. As part of Norfolk Constabulary's month-long drink-drive campaign, the roads and armed policing team spent the night of December the 5th carrying out road checks in Great Yarmouth. Three drivers were caught doing 62, 51 and 48 miles per hour in a 30 mile per hour zone, while another had their vehicle seized for failing to produce a valid licence. In better news, 36 out of 36 breath tests for drink and drugs came back negative. Earlier this week, at the launch of the campaign, head of the Joint Roads and Armed Policing Team, John Chapman, urged motorists to not let themselves or loved ones gamble with people's lives for the sake of a drink. He said, we want people to be able to enjoy themselves, but to do so sensibly 
and without risking the lives of others. Warning after police break up illegal gathering at house. Police have warned the occupant of a house where a gathering was being held in breach of coronavirus restrictions. Officers with Norfolk Constabulary went to an address on Northgate Street in Great Yarmouth at 8.15pm on Sunday, December the 6th, following reports of a gathering at a property. A number of people who did not live at the address were advised to leave and the occupant was given a warning. Tier 2 restrictions imposed last week mean there can be no mixing of households indoors apart from support bubbles. Carl Smith, leader of Great Yarmouth Borough Council, said it's really important to stick to the rules. It's important that households don't mix together. The virus does spread in the community. An easy way for it to spread in the community is for households to mix. What we do first of all is warn people, unless it's a very serious breach. We're nowhere near out of the woods yet. There is light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccine, but we've got to stick to the rules to beat this virus, he, he said. A local resident said it was right the occupants of the house was given a warning first. If they do it again, they should be fined, he added. A neighbour said he was not impressed. We've kept ourselves to ourselves. All we do is take our child to school and go to Tesco. Other than that, we've been staying in. Don't have the fine in place if you can't enforce it, he added. Another neighbour said the gathering didn't really bother her personally. They're messing up their own lives, not mine. She added, considering students have been fined £10,000 for having parties, they got away with it lightly. A spokesperson for the police said, our focus is to reassure, inform and engage with people so they understand why these restrictions are in place. We will always try to disperse people rather than use enforcement. Current restrictions mean people must not socialise with anyone they do not live with or who is not in their support bubble in any indoor setting, whether at home or in a public place. A maximum of six people can meet outdoors, which includes gardens and public spaces, the rule of six. Police have the powers to break up illegal gatherings and issue fines from £200 to £10,000 for a gathering of more than 30 people. Village Pub offers proper 1p penne pasta dish with alcoholic drink. A village pub is offering an ingeniously named penne pasta dish for 1p alongside any alcoholic drink for as long as the county remains in Tier 2. Adam Morrison, landlord at the Queen's Head in Borough Castle, said the idea behind the Tier 2 special was to encourage everyone to come in for an alcohol drink without the expense of an £8 meal when the pub reopened on Friday, December the 4th. 
The 32-year-old from Belton, who took over the pub in July, said his customers had been immensely supportive after the country emerged from the first lockdown and that he now wanted to give something back. He said, usually we only serve food between 12 noon and 2 p.m. and then between 6 and 9 p.m. But we've had to change all that to adapt to tier two restrictions. Instead, the pasta dishes will be served from 12 noon until last orders at 10 p.m. every day of the week for as long as Borough Castle stays in tier two. Each dish will be 1p, but drinks prices will stay the same. We're going to rotate the pasta menu as much as we can so frequent customers don't get bored. We're not just doing plain old pasta either. These will be proper dishes. There will be a vegan and gluten-free option too. Mr Morrison said one of the issues had been comprehending the complex demands placed on hospitality by the government. This is our way of making things simple for both us and our customers, he said. On the topic of restrictions generally, Mr Morrison said he wasn't too surprised Norfolk had found itself on the middle rung. He said, I didn't really know what to expect, but I knew cases in Yarmouth were increasing on the whole. I was hoping for Tier 1, but not overly worried when I saw Tier 2. He added, I only took over the pub in July, and in a way the lockdowns have been a good time for our refurbishment. We've got a new bar and restaurant area, a new exterior, and we've refurbished the toilets. There's exciting times ahead for us. 100-year-old swimming clubs bid to stay open. Great Yarmouth Swimming Club, established in 1885 and run by volunteers, normally holds sessions at the 25-metre Phoenix Pool in Bradwell and the facility at Great Yarmouth Charter Academy. Swimmers pay a subscription fee every month, which helps the club cover costs for pool hire. But Candice Parr, 32, a coach at the club, says since lockdown, no subscriptions have been coming in. After the first lockdown, we started lessons again in August for three months, she added. But coronavirus restrictions meant the club could have only four swimmers in a lane as opposed to eight to ten. Then came the second lockdown. Ms Parr said the club is running out of money. Higher costs are draining the money. If we don't get enough funds, we won't be able to keep up with the pool costs. Ms Parr started as a swimmer in the club 16 years ago. In normal times, it's buzzing with eight to 10 per lane. So it's just heartbreaking because I don't want the club to go under and stop because all the children who swim with us have a hobby. It keeps them off the streets. Mentally, it helps you. When I was doing my GCSEs, it gave me a break, she said. During the second lockdown, the club's members turned to other means for raising funds. Ms Parr biked and walked 100 miles in 10 days, 
while eight-year-old Charlie Pickering from Bradwell ran 52 miles in 30 days on a treadmill at his home. Charlie said, it's really important that the club gets support from sponsors so they can stay open. I love swimming and I would hate for it to close because of COVID. To donate to the club, you can visit the GoFundMe page. I feel privileged. Hospital staff prepare to deliver COVID vaccine. A Norfolk nurse who is among a 40 strong team of hospital staff delivering the first coronavirus vaccine jabs says she feels privileged to be involved in an historic moment. Linda Davis was among the team at James Paget University Hospital in Galston that began delivering the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine to patients on Wednesday. Mrs Davis has worked at the hospitals since 18, 1982, I beg your pardon Mrs Davis, and stayed on after her retirement from the stroke specialist team in August to help deliver this year's flu vaccine. Mrs Davis said, during my career I've witnessed firsthand the immense benefits that science and technology have brought to healthcare. When I started my nurse training, the first CT brain scanners had just come into operation. A historic development which really moved patient treatment forward. Now I feel it is a privilege to be involved in another historic moment as we deploy a safe and effective vaccine to help protect ourselves against the virus. All the scientists have done a fantastic job in developing this vaccine and its deployment will continue Britain's proud track record over the years of keeping people safe through its immunisation programmes. Also signed up as a vaccinator is Ellie Elder, who is a safeguarding practitioner for adults and children and has worked at the hospital for more than 30 years, predominantly as a paediatric nurse. She said the pandemic has been tough on everyone as well as the vulnerable members of our community. It has also been particularly hard on those people affected by losing their jobs or even their homes. Mental health and well-being has also been a struggle for many people and families have struggled to cope without schools, clubs or being able to visit care homes. I have volunteered to be a vaccinator as it's important for all of us to play our part in fighting COVID-19 and getting back to normal. The hospital said it had an excellent response by staff to its vaccination recruitment drive. Paul Morris, James Paget University Hospital Director of Nursing said, it is important to stress that these vaccinations are by appointment only. The vaccination programme will be expanding in the weeks ahead and our message to the public is please don't contact the NHS, we will contact you. In the meantime, please continue to follow all the guidance to help control the virus and save lives.
trio of new hubs for visually impaired people creates a one-stop shop. A leading charity supporting those with visual impairments in Norfolk says the opening of three new hubs has created a one-stop shop for its services. Vision Norfolk held its 214th annual meeting online with lead members detailing how 2020 was a year of modernisation and restructuring to make the charity fit for the future. To deliver services in the community, the Norwich-based charity has developed three new multi-service local hubs in Kings Lynn, Norwich and Great Yarmouth to create a one-stop shop to access all its services. The Reverend Canon Simon Stokes, co-chairman of Trustees, who is blind, said these hubs will help us become more agile, signposting people towards where they can find help and support. They will help visually impaired people lead independent lives, dipping in and out of our services as they need them. As part of the pandemic, the Reverend Stokes worked to highlight the difficulties of the challenges faced by visually impaired people to maintain two metre social distance. In its annual report, the charity said some had experienced aggression from those with sight after inadvertently straying into their personal space. To combat this, the charity worked with shops and businesses on offering support safely and without taking away people's independence. Lady Philippa Dannett, MBE, Lord Lieutenant of Norfolk and a Vice President of the charity, said the changes made over the past year were designed to deliver what visually impaired people need rather than what we think should be delivered to them. She said it is particularly important that Vision Norfolk becomes better at supporting people in their own homes to live independent lives. This is increasingly what they aspire to do. It is vital that the charity is able to enable them to do this, as well as remaining economically active, a key factor in being independent. Lady Dannett paid tribute to the way the charity had stepped up to provide support during the pandemic, calling volunteers inspirational. Chief Executive Gina Dormer says changes ensured the charity met the needs of those living with sight loss in Norfolk. Well, that's all we have for you for this edition of Grapevine. Grapevine, Volume 40, Number 50, is copyright 2020 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. The content in the main is adapted from the publications of Archant Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. Your newsreader next week will be Andrew, but it's a special being the Christmas edition, featuring pieces from our current four newsreaders, 
plus Dusty, Margaret and Julie, and another familiar voice, Jackie. It's also our official 40th anniversary recording, and so we look back all those years and try to remember when we were young, or at least younger. In the meantime, from everybody, bye for now. Keep well and safe. Thank you.